From the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. On today's episode, we can't stop watching Milo Ventimiglia on NBC's This Is Us. He plays beloved patriarch Jack Pearson. We'll talk to Milo about the pressure he feels to live up to the high standards of his good guy character. Everybody loves playing the bad guy. Playing the good guy, we need to see it. And we need to see the real good guys. You know, I think there's there's something nice about playing uh, a hero without a cape. We'll also hear what it's like to direct an episode of This Is Us and why Milo is quarantined in New Mexico. Let's get to it. Milo, thanks so much for being one of our guests this week. Absolutely, Yvonne. Anything for you. So, Milo, tell me how you're keeping busy during this time. Oh, man. I, uh, I'm still trying to keep up on uh, some workouts, some home workouts with a lot of water bottles and weights and rubber bands, resistance and things. Running. I reached back out to my Japanese tutor to uh, brush up on that. Uh, I've been sleeping a lot. Don't get to sleep a whole lot because of uh, production hours, you know, when you got to be on set and make up at 5 a.m. You're waking up at 3 o'clock to get fed and showered. You know, I've been trying to just keep my mind active, keep my body active. Uh, I'm not at home in L.A. I'm still out uh, where I was shooting my next project, my Evil Knievel project. So uh, there's a lot more space. I'm able to go and hike in the mountains and go for runs through the neighborhood and uh, wait in line with a mask on like everybody else at Whole Foods. Well, talk to me about where you were when things started to get serious and the safe at home edict came down. I was on my way to New Mexico uh, for Evil Knievel, the USA UCP project that I have. And my partner, Russ, he was already out here managing some of the production, the pre-production. I got out here and I think, you know, was rounding out stunt meetings and and wardrobe fittings and uh, final makeup tests and all that. And we were two days away from starting before we got the call from the studio saying, hey, we're going to put you guys on pause. We're going to take a moment. This is all kind of happening and, and actively changing. So we just kind of went on pause and waited. And then I just kind of stayed, stayed in New Mexico. So just I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to get back to LA though. So Milo, we're taping this interview over Skype and I can see the video of you and your hair is blonde. It was an all day process. Honestly, it was an all day process. I mean, there's the excitement of, oh, well, I'm going to be blonde. And I've been blonde before. Uh, last time I was blonde was a movie called uh, Grown Ups 2 with Adam Sandler. And had a really horrible, horrible blonde skunk stripe that any college kid would have because uh, I was playing a college kid. But this one, there had to be a little more finesse to it. So it was an all day process. Patiently just kind of sat in a chair, had some nice conversations. My hairstylist on Knievel, who's also hair department head on This Is Us, Michael Wrights, he was there with me. And we slowly kind of took it to what evil Knievel is. It's pretty uncanny. And then on top of it, it was, you know, blonde eyebrows. And you, you make these physical changes. It helps cement the emotional work you do as a character. You know, I'm not the one changing or responsible for my hair. I'm not the one responsible for my face. That's Michael. That's Zoe. But they are these massive contributions that help me as the character. I mean, the same thing happens with Jack Pearson. Exact same thing happens with Jack Pearson, but but I'm able to completely become someone different. And that is, as an actor, it's just, it's the most freeing thing. How are you feeling during this time of the coronavirus? 
Are you scared? The psychology of it hasn't really hit me. I've spoken to a couple friends who believe they had it in January, February, you know, before everybody really knew what COVID-19 was. I think for them, it was just, oh, I've got the flu, you know, whereas what we know of this illness now, this disease now, there is the very real fear that things are going to go in the wrong direction and your life will be in jeopardy. It's, it's definitely terrifying now, but you know, I'm just I'm taking my vitamins, social distancing, keeping active, talking to friends, I'm talking to family, I'm looking out for myself and eating well. So I think in doing that, it's uh, the only thing I got to contend with is uh, uh, dry skin out here in New Mexico because it's a dry climate. But that's about it. I wish I could be a fly on the wall of those conversations with your parents who people are just like so in love with. They're healthy. My parents are great. You know, they're um, they, they live a, a pretty simple life to begin with. They just spend time with their kids. So I think when this was all going down first, they were up in Oregon with one of my sisters and her family. They started to see it creeping south into Oregon. My dad just said, you know, I'd rather if I get sick, I want to be back at home. But they've got uh, food delivery all set up. Uh, they're well stocked with everything. And my parents, they're easy going, you know, and they, they've been through a lot. It is really, really horrible, everything going on right now. And everyone's trying to figure out how do we get back to normal, some kind of semblance of normal. Nobody has the answers, but everybody's trying but this is also just, it's a time where you really do get to slow down. I never get to slow down. I'm going a million miles an hour all the time, all the time, 24 hours a day. This is one of those moments where as a, as a creative, as an actor who's constantly been pushing and pushing and pushing for 25 years and comparing, let's say, my work ethic or my time on set or my time in the office or my time in you know physical preparation or emotional preparation for a character – I can't compare it to anybody. That that competitive spirit of actors, it's not quite there. I think right now, what I'm starting to feel is community. What I'm seeing is a community coming together and saying, well, how can we collectively draw up some plans and some parameters so we can all get back to work? You know, which again goes back to it's not about the glory of the job, it's about the job. You gotta you gotta value the work. I mean, I know what it's like to be an out-of-work actor. Now I think a lot of people know what it's like to really be out of work. And wanting to to have that purpose of career. So got to find the silver linings, you know, best you can. Well, I wonder, I mean, you guys are a close um, cast. And I know there's often a text chain going. Usually Sterling is very heavy with the gifts, I'm told. Um, has that been very active these days? Have there been any cast Zooms or plans for cast like video chats? How are you keeping in touch? Haven't seen any cast Zooms. You know, it's it's kind of like a band on tour. When you're on tour, you're there, you know, tying each other's shoes. But when you're not on tour, you're kind of off in your own world. And maybe you keep this tether to one another. You know, I've definitely traded a bunch of messages with Mandy, checked in on her. And I know she's she and uh, Taylor are, you know, doing concerts and stuff from their home, which is amazing. And, you know, I FaceTime with Justin and I've traded messages with Sterling. And, you know, a bunch of us collectively are always to trying to find ways to uh, reach out to the community of This Is Us audience. You just, you, you try and do what you can, you know, you you raise some money for people that need it right now and and you give time and try and shine a light to things that that need the attention. So I know like that stuff is all happening. 
And that's kind of how we're, we're, we're keeping tethered together. And, and then of course, you know, there's the completely goofy shit that we can't even really talk about that usually Ken Olin starts, but we all contribute to. Love that Ken Olin. Oh, he's the best. Well, during this time, I think it's fairly obvious at this point that a lot of people are watching TV and, you know, they're taking comfort in the characters that they know and love. And there's been those memes about who you want to be stuck in a house with, like who, what character would make a good roommate at this time. How do you think Jack would respond in a time like this? Like, how would he be at home with the kids? Like, what subject would he be especially good at helping them with? I know exactly what Jack would be doing. He'd be having a ball with his kids. And deep down, whatever fears he had going on out in the world, he just would never let him see it. I have a very, very dear friend. He's, he's basically a brother that I grew up with. His name's Aaron Steger. Talked about him before. Um, he is one of my models of Jack. And every time, like the past couple of weeks, I FaceTime him a couple times a week and he's there with his kids and they're in the pool and they're swimming and they're doing games and they're having fun. And you know, he built a, uh, a studio in their house. So they could record an interview show and interview, you know, their friends over Zoom or, or me, their uncle, you know, and, and whatnot. But then I know that when the kids are busy doing whatever they're doing for themselves, he's in the garage, you know, with a mask. With uh, with gloves, sterilizing the food that's come in, you know, but but not for them to see. So I imagine Jack is much the same. Jack is a guy who's going to be there almost making an adventure out of it with his family. But at the same time, understanding that this is a very real, very serious, uh, very scary time for a lot of people. Jack's got to look out for his and, you know, hopefully uh, do what he can for anybody else. But Jack's also got to look out for himself, because if you don't look out for yourself, then you won't be around to look out for others. Well, let's talk about this season. We got an alt history episode where we got to see what their lives would be like if Jack never died. Did you enjoy living in that world for a little bit? It was interesting for so many reasons. I mean, to see what what the lives of the kids would have been, to see what Jack, you know, how how Jack possibly could have changed because of Rebecca's approach toward dealing with Randall and and what was going on with Randall meeting his birth father, it was interesting. I mean, there have been a few times where I I just personally, as Milo, don't agree with how Jack handled something. You know, his jealousy with Rebecca, or you know, turning to the drink to kind of numb some pains, uh, not forgiving his brother for something that I mean, circumstances of war are just horrible, but. You know, it was it was interesting to play the other side. There was definitely while we were filming, there was a ramped up version of even Jack's disdain for how Rebecca handled the the, the Randall Williams situation. I know, like you know, when it when it came to air, it wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. It was it was a lot more mild than anything else. I think you know. Dan knows what he's doing and Dan knows what he wants. And, you know, our goal and set is to give all the options. So when he gets to the edit, he really examines what he sees this family doing and what direction they're going. Then, you know, he'll, he'll make the call. What was a scene from this season that you most enjoyed filming? I don't know about any one particular scene but i can't say i really enjoyed directing the episode that i directed only because i got to work with everyone 
that that is the one tragedy for me on this on this show is that I'm limited to just playing the stories in the past. And and by the way, not limited. They're amazing. I have a blast with Mandy. I mean, she is absolutely 100% undeniably my partner in this. And, you know, all the kids, you know, the teen kids and our, our 12-year-olds are, you know, coming up on 12-year-olds. Um, and then the babies and, and the five-year-olds and all of them. It's like, that's amazing. But but for me, you know, I'm, I'm really so, I've been so inspired by the performances of the other actors. So to be on set with them, with the crew that I know, that was the best part. That was the best part for me, you know, and and, and everything else, you know, in, in front of the camera. There's not one moment of it that I don't enjoy, appreciate, or love. Because, again, I know what it's like to not work. I know what it's like to be sitting idle as an artist, you know, wanting to be creative with some people. So, you know, I, I kind of put that in my mind years ago. It's like, kid, you got to be grateful for any moment you get on set, any moment you get to to be creative with another artist, with a group of artists, with a group of creative folks, whether they're building the sets that you're acting on or it's about being with the, the crews that are that are there with you creatively, you know, again, contributing to these characters and these stories and, and this family. In the series, we get these snapshots of, you know, the big and small moments that made Jack a good dad. It's those sort of moments that as a grown-up, when you're looking back on your childhood, you look back on those moments, like the little things. So I wonder for you, what's a childhood memory that stands out about your dad? I mean, my dad is so well-rounded in everything. You know, I, I wouldn't call him a Renaissance man, but... I guess what my dad did was he showed me strength. He showed me vulnerability. He showed me, he showed me compassion, understanding. He showed me not to be a little shit. <laughs> there is so much greatness to my father. You know, like I remember being a kid and, you know, my dad used to kind of give me challenges. I, I would always say, you know, like uh, I would have a big appetite. Let's just say a big appetite. You know, if I if I wanted to take drum lessons, I had to have a drum kit. If I wanted to play basketball, I had to have a basketball hoop. And my dad would always, and and I know this was you know not just him. This, these are my parents. This is both of them. They're they're both phenomenal people. But you know, my dad would present it in a way of you gotta earn it. And the work ethic that I know my father put in really stands out what my dad would do is he kind of he make it fun he kind of put little challenges you know like i wanted to get a new toy um and we were at the mall i would have to you know hold myself up physically while we're going up and down the escalators i couldn't let my feet touch or if i was out shooting hoops with him i'd have to make 10 free throws in a row to get something that i wanted so like my dad really taught me that earning you got to earn it you can't just show up and do it you can't just show up and wing it. You got to be prepared and you got to practice and you got to go get it. If you want it, go get it. I want to stick with in this area of young Milo. What was young Milo watching? What was the show that was like, I need to be in front of the TV at this time or a finale you remember, like, I'm going to have to wait three months to see what happens. Like, what was that show for you? There, you know, there was always like the, you know, TGI Friday 
Thank God it's Friday on on NBC. So I like the sitcoms and stuff growing up, you know, and then you get a little older and you're like, wait, what's this A team I keep hearing about? What's this Miami Vice? Oh, I'm too young to watch it. Okay. It's so funny because I don't particularly remember TV as a kid. I remember movies. I remember the Goonies. I remember being 12 years old on vacation with my family and watching Die Hard. I remember, you know, being uh, on vacation in San Diego with my folks and my sisters and I are piled into one bed and my mom and dad are in another bed and they moved the TV so that we couldn't see it. And they were watching American Werewolf in London, but I could see it. And then they saw that I could see it and they were, they were like, Milo, go to sleep. I'm like, okay, sorry. Well, you often hear from actors that it's more fun playing the bad guy, and you've certainly played your fair share of those. But what's the fun in playing the good guy? Like, yes, Jack is flawed for sure, but he's decent. And I wonder if playing the decent guy is just as challenging as playing the bad guy. It is. I think it is. I mean, characters are complex. You know, every character that I play that I'm fortunate enough to bring to life, you know, I I, I don't ever, I wouldn't ever want to make them so simple that people think that anybody can do it. You know, they got to be detailed. They've got to be nuanced and deep, even if they appear just kind of at the surface and goofy, you know, you've got to have something more than just what's on the cover, but playing the good guy, we need to see it. That's what it really comes down to for me is everybody loves playing the bad guy, you know, and maybe even playing a bad guy that people are rooting for. And I've played bad guys that you don't want to ever be around and I don't ever want to be around because you just want to remove people like that. But playing the good guy, we need to see it. We need to see it. And we need to see the real good guys. You know, I think there's there's something nice about playing uh, a hero without a cape. Because I think what we need, and this goes beyond, you know, male, female, where you're from, anything. It's like, we just need to see examples of decent people. You know, we all have our flaws. We all make our mistakes. And we're going to continue to make mistakes and pick up new flaws. But we also have to try to be good. And we've got to really embrace um, that side of, of loving people and our neighbors, but also don't let that love be something that can be walked all over. You got to match adversity sometimes with uh, with a greater strength. Well, Kyle Chandler, who played beloved Coach Taylor on Friday Night Lights, has, you know, jokingly said before that his character's perfection was a pain in the ass at times, like in terms of having to live up to it and like what people expect when they see you at the store. So have you ever felt that? And what's it sort of like competing with Jack? 100%. I, I think it might have been uh, the end of season two. And I was sitting around having a, and Fogelman and I, we were just talking. And I said, you know, Jack is really difficult to live up to, man. I said, he really is. And he is like that. That's the real truth. Because, you know, there there is this mystical, reverent love for Jack. And I think a lot of it is because we only had him for a short period of time. You know, knowing who he was and how he really was and the love he had for his family, his wife, for his kids, the dedication he had to them, you know, creates this hero, this superhero that is just, you know, hang him up in a museum. You just want to admire him. But being the actor who plays that guy is tough sometimes because I think I'm held to an equal standard. And that's fine with me. I actually, you know what? I don't mind it because that 
is a good reminder to me of the upbringing that my mom and dad gave me, which is leave with love. Be a good person. Do your best. You're going to make mistakes, but you have to, have to, have to try to let that that golden heart come through in the end. You got to do it. You got to do it. So I, I don't mind. I'm up for the challenge. We talked before about the sort of uncertainty of knowing when things will resume in terms of productions and stuff like that. And obviously you still have Evil Knievel. We don't know when This Is Us will resume production. But how are you feeling about going back? Like, do you think this is going to change your approach to acting or like your comfort level? Like what will make you feel at ease on a set now? Those questions have been asked a lot spoken to both studios, uh, them asking me like, hey, where's your comfort level? What can we set up on on a production that's going to make you feel capable to do your job? You know, and I think a lot of it comes down to is there's so many bullet points. There's there's testing, of course, there's some distancing, there's safe practices on set, but there's also kind of common sense. You know, I, I look at a lot of other cultures around the world, you know, Japan, China, and when people are sick, they'll wear a mask. In America, of course, we have a go, 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 gotta work, gotta work, work ethic. That's amazing. It's gotten us so far. I think we just have to be aware, particularly now, of how we impact others. You got to be empathetic to what's going on, to what possibly you're setting in motion. But at the same time, you know, you have to spread that. You have to make sure people are thinking about that. So when I say common sense, if you wake up, and you feel something coming on, you got to like call and say, hey, I don't feel like I got to stay home. And common sense so much is like, guys, don't touch your face. Wash your hands. Don't touch someone else's face with your hands that haven't been washed. There are practices that have to kind of be set in motion. We all have to be aware. We all have to be responsible for ourselves that will also respect others. You know, we, we just got to look out for each other. That's what it really comes down to. And it's sad that it has to take a global pandemic or a terrorist attack, or a war, or some great loss for people to understand that we are all on this planet together. It's just so interesting, too. I think people are watching TV differently and looking at certain scenes and being like, would we do that now? Like, Jack saying breathe and holding the face? Like, I honestly was thinking about that. I was like, you know, I'm in a scene. I'm with one of the, one of the kiddos. And I'm just being a dad. What dads do, they grab their kids' faces or, you know, they hug them and kiss them or whatever. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is totally all going to change. So then it is like, well, what if there's a version where you're creating set as a very, very safe, very sterile environment, right? So you're kind of like, you're a doctor in a way. You're going into surgery. You got to scrub in, you got to scrub out. Or you're visiting somebody in a hospital room. You use hand sanitizer in, you use hand sanitizer out. It's just, it's being aware. So, you know, I think these conversations are starting to really kick into high gear with Hollywood because we all want to get back to work so that we can, you know, one, do our craft, but two, put shows out and, and you know, the show must go on. We got to find a way. You know, I mean, what a what a heavy load the the writers must have right now trying to consider, well, geez, do we put in the script that Jack and Rebecca share a kiss? Is that putting Milo and Mandy in danger? Can they hold hands? Do we have to shoot them six feet apart and then make it look like they're only a foot or two away or inches away? How does that work? It'll be interesting to see how things change. Are you watching anything right now? Like, have you caught up on TV or is that not on the list? 
like everybody else, I've watched Tiger King. I went through. I, it's, it's funny. It's like I'll I'll get I'll get hooked on. I'm gonna watch a bunch of Nick Cage movies, everything from Valley Girl to Con Air, or I'm gonna watch some Quentin Tarantino films, or I'm gonna watch some foreign cinema. I I at times kind of go back to what I call comfort foods. You know, movies that I love, shows that I love, books that I love. Because they just, they, they ground me. They remind me of the stuff that inspires me. Our final question actually comes from our previous guest, MJ Rodriguez from FX's Pose. Here's what she wants to know. Kids have great, like they have so many wonderful personalities and they say everything and you can't be mad at them because they don't mean it. So how is it being able to deal with children, actual children on a set? Hmm. A blessing and a curse. <laughs> no, there are so many factors to working with kids. You got to make sure it's safe. You got to make sure it's fun. You got to make sure that you're doing your job well. I mean, here's the thing. like I play father to these kids, but I'm not their dad. But I also want them to know that, hey, if you need anything, you can call me. It's just, it's a tough, tough thing. You know, you're, you're constantly aware you're working with someone that should be on a playground. You're working with someone that should be like out having fun. You're working with someone that is asked to be an adult for whatever amount of time they're on a set for eight hours a day. And that's tough. And also, I mean, the emotions that happen to any of us, you know, the connections you make with your crew, I can't even imagine, you know, like I've gotten pretty good at, oh yeah, you know, I made this friend, I made that friend and this job ended and that's okay. And we'll catch up over coffee. But when you're a kid, I mean, these are monumental relationships, you know, friendships that you're, you're, you're building. And then all of a sudden jobs over, they get taken away. I try to any of the kids that I've worked with, it's like, Hey kid, I'm around the rest of your life. I'm around. You need advice need anything, you need a meal, you need a hug, whatever you need, I'm here for you. You know, and I think a lot of that too kind of came from I didn't per se have anyone on my my coming up as an actor that I could really rely on that had been through a lot of the business. So for me, I think I always want to offer that to the kids that I work with and let them know that, hey, I care about you. I want you to do the best work you can. My job here is to make sure you're better. That's why I work so hard. Like I had a conversation one time with uh, with Logan Scheuer, who plays uh, teenage Kevin, and he was really beating himself up over this scene. And we had a long talk, and I said, "The reason why I put so much effort into what I do is because I want you to be better. I'm giving you everything I got, kid. So you got tools to work off of. That's it. I'm here for you." Yeah, when the five-year-olds want to sit in their chair and just eat cookies, they don't want to go to set. And you got to say, yeah, but how about I come hang out with you? And, and they say, no, I want to stay in my chair and eat cookies. But then what you got to do is think abstractly. You got to pick their chair up and you got to fly them to set in a fun way. Then they get excited. They forget about their cookies. And now all they want to do is just be on set. I love that. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to be a dad. You got to like think about that goofy shit. You got to do it. Okay, well, so now the tables are turned to you. Our next guest is Sam Hewen from Outlander. Do you have a question for him? And it doesn't have to be related to the show. Any question you have. Who's the first person you're looking forward to 
hugging and having a face-to-face conversation with once things level out? I think that's a great question to ask. So we'll, we will definitely pass it on. Awesome. Milo, thank you so much for taking this time with us. I really appreciate it. Always, Yvonne. Anything you need. Always. Okay, guys, that's it for the third episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heimson, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and a special shout out to Elena Howe for booking the guests for this podcast. Come back next week. We're talking to actor Sam Hewen. As you get to play a character for longer, you, you start to, to know them better, you know? And I feel I know exactly who Jamie is. There's still moments when he surprises me and when I read stuff in the script or the book, and I'm like, why is he doing that? But that's what makes a great character, the, the fact that they can still surprise you even after playing them for six years. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast, created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to the facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.